Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. It is exciting for me to be able to speak still because today is Time for Change Sunday and along with 70 or so other churches across our brilliant city, we as Church Central West are participating in Time for Change Sunday. Now, what is Time for Change Sunday? I hear you through the airwaves cry. Well, back in the first lockdown, as I'm sure you'll remember, when George Floyd was brutally murdered, a already existing group of Christian leaders in the city who have got relatively long-standing ties together in terms of friendship and prayer and unity in general, decided to turn their attention very, very deliberately to the themes of racial injustice and racial reconciliation within the church. It includes that group of people, uh, Jonathan Bell, uh, a kind of leader of our family of churches, and it's spearheaded by Pastor Calvin Young, who many of you I'm sure will remember from our conversations about race content last year. And from those friendships and that, that kind of conversation, Time for Change was born. It's a partnership aimed at equipping and motivating and resourcing and prompting normal, ordinary churches across the city, wherever their starting point, to think and speak into and pray into the themes of race and racial reconciliation in the church. And so, as I say, today is a a big day. There are 70 or so churches across the city joining in with Time for Change Sunday and giving their mornings over to thinking about this stuff. And uh, we in the Church Central family of churches are doing that as well. As for us very specifically here in the West, what I want to do is dive into those words that were read to us from John 17 and take some time with you to look again and almost win you afresh to a vision for church life, a very specific vision a vision that I want to describe as unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. That we must, by God's grace, seek to become more and more a church that is united, that is together, is on the same page, that understands and loves one another deeply, enjoying a real unity. But not a unity that's based on us all being the same, or us all looking the same, or us all talking the same, or us all thinking the same, or us all having the same life experience, that wouldn't be unity, that would be uniformity. And that's very different. But rather a unity that is based in diversity, where as a church we genuinely welcome and include and hear and listen to and stand with and celebrate and are shaped by and reflect an increasingly diverse range of people and backgrounds. Today, thinking very specifically about diverse in our racial makeup, in our ethnic background. And I guess the question I want to ask us is why should we give ourselves to building a united, diverse church? Because it's really hard to do actually, and uh, the, the, the history of Christianity shows that in and of ourselves, we much more are prone to building churches that are either uniform in their makeup or that are diverse, but that are not united, where there's division and infighting and suspicion and distance and discord. 
And that's natural for us. It's much harder and actually much more supernatural to build something that's truly united and truly diverse. And so why should we give ourselves to that? Is it just because the world is making a lot of noise about racial injustice at the moment and because we want to be accepted as a good church or not at least want to be dismissed as a really bad church, we feel like we need to join in so that others think that we care about it. Is that it? Or are there deeper, more fundamental reasons why we should each give ourselves to this? And I want to suggest there are three reasons that are really important. We're going to spend almost all of our time thinking about the first one, so don't panic if we're still on that in 10 minutes or so. But the three reasons are that this matters to God, that this matters to those hurting in the church, and this matters to our city. Firstly then, unity and diversity matters to God. In our reading, we were listening in, I don't know if you realise this, on a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Not just any conversation, but a conversation that's happening in the, the few hours before for God the Son in Jesus will be crucified and killed. So it's a very big moment. It's a holy ground moment. It's almost a famous last words type moment as we listen in to this important conversation. And what are they talking about? They are talking about united, diverse churches. Verse 20 to 21. I am, that's Jesus, I am praying not only for these disciples, the ones with him in the exact moment that he was praying, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Or verse 23, may they experience such perfect unity. That as opposed to the discord and distance and suspicion that characterises so much of human interaction, especially across ethnic and racial differences. God the Son asks God the Father that his church would be different, that his church would be one. Just think about that for a moment. That's a, a moment where Jesus is sweating blood because he's thinking about the crucial act of sacrifice that he's about to go through. He's about to die for the world. He's about to do the very thing that the triune God has been planning since before the creation of the world. He's about to become the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And as he's readying to get up off his knees and go to do it, what rises to the top of his priorities? I wonder what would rise to the top of your priorities in that moment. For Jesus, it's that we, his disciples, would know real oneness. Now, of course, these verses aren't only about racial and ethnic diversity and difference. They can be applied to any number of divisions that Christians creatively manage to build and get entrenched in. But in John's gospel, Jesus has already shown that he is radically committed to what we might call today racial reconciliation of breaking down walls that keep people apart based on ethnicity, particularly in the realm of the worship of God together. And he's been bashing down those walls throughout John's gospel. 
the best example of this is in John chapter 4 in his conversation with a woman from Samaria. Now, Samaritans versus Jews was this entrenched, intense, generations-long divide that was in part to do with theology, in part to do with politics, and in part to do with ethnicity. And because of this hatred, this division, Samaritans and Jews worshipped differently. They actually worshipped in a segregated fashion. Jews worshipped on one mountain in Jerusalem, and Samaritans were away on another mountain. And throw in the fact that she's a woman and a shamed woman at that, then the fact that the Jewish Messiah even looks at her is very scandalous. That he engages her in a real conversation is unthinkable, but what he actually goes on to say to her, the way he goes on to include her is almost unimaginable. He says that because of what he has come to do, this distance that has defined her life with God, this divide, this separation will no longer be the defining word over her life with God. Jesus says this, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. He's saying your ethnicity might have excluded you from worshipping God in the religious structures of the day. But a day is coming and is now here where you do not have to worship far away. You do not have to be excluded. You do not have to be on the edge because the Father is seeking worshippers not based on geography or background, but those who worship him in spirit and in truth from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, even Samaritan women. And the disciples, Jewish and male, have their jaws on the floor because of Jesus's radical barrier-breaking inclusion. But they shouldn't actually have been surprised, really, because though religious people have got this wrong in so many ways, and Christians and, and evangelical Christians have got this wrong in so many ways, actually this ethnic inclusion into the people of God is in line with the whole story of Scripture. Way back uh, when God calls their father Abraham. The promise to Abraham was this, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. But look why he did it. And you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Yes, God started with one man, one family, one people group. But it was always with the intention of welcoming and including all peoples on earth into the blessing of God. And ultimately, at the end of the story, we see in Revelation that though we tend to get this wrong so many times and in so many different ways, God, by his grace, at the end of time, will have done it. We see this vision of the future. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They are united. They are one. They're before God together, worshipping him. But it's a group that is not uniform. It is gloriously and beautifully different. And that is God's heart for his people. 
That is why this matters. Not because it's trending on social media, because it is God's eternal plan to have a people that are united in diversity. But do you know what? It's actually even more fundamental than that. It's not only something that the triune God is passionate about. It's something that the triune God actually experiences within the Godhead. Look at verse 21. Jesus says this, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. He's saying that the Father and the Son are loving one another, united, enjoying this mutual love and closeness and honouring and appreciation of one another. But it's not this lazy, simplistic, smudged uniformity like they're just the same person. No, there is real difference. There is distinction. The Father is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Father. The, the Father doesn't die on the cross, does he? The Son does that. And the Son doesn't raise himself from the dead. The Father raises the Son. And so they're not the same person. They're, they're distinct. They're diverse. And yet, in their difference, they know this glorious, perfect oneness. And that's the oneness that Jesus says, just as you and I are one God, I pray that my church would be like that. Unity and diversity is not just something the triune God wants. It's something the triune God has. It's something the triune God is. And so it's so fundamental to us as the church and as human beings made in his image that we are to pursue that same oneness across every difference, across every divide, acknowledging and rejoicing that we are different, we are distinct, that a white person's experience is not the same as a black person's experience. And yet that in our difference, which we notice and we recognise and we honour, we are gloriously united in the name of Jesus as the people of God. That is why we care about this. Not because you're the sort of person who's into it, <laughs> but because God cares about this. This matters to God. Now, much more quickly, we've got a couple more points to cover and we'll be done very shortly. But secondly, this matters because it matters to the people who are hurting in the church. I know that for many watching this, probably those who, like me, are white. We almost certainly don't have any recent personal experience of what it feels like to be excluded or misunderstood or marginalised on the basis of our skin colour. But just because some of us, or even maybe the majority of us, haven't experienced it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter to our church. Let me illustrate this. I remember a moment with my dad uh, when I was about 10 years old, so quite a while back now. And uh, we were at a play watching my sister perform in a play and it was half time and we were sitting there waiting for the second half to begin. And we were having a chat. We were having a chat about his mum who had died in the months leading up to that. And he was sharing a few memories as we just sat there. And if I'm honest, I was getting a bit bored and the play was a bit boring as well. And uh, he sort of said to me another thing, another fact, another story. And then he said, do you know what year she was born? And I remember looking at him and with a big, what I thought was very funny, eye roll and yawn, I said, I don't know and I don't care. 
and I saw, as you can probably see, how destructive those words were to him. That something that was so real to him, so raw for him, so central to his lived experience, so painful for him, a massive part of his life, to have it dismissed by someone in his family, no less, was crushing to him. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, particularly when I speak to my white brothers and sisters, we need to be really careful that when thinking and talking and engaging or not engaging on matters of racial injustice, bias, assumptions, othering, pain, that are such a reality for so many in our city and even in our church, that we don't accidentally and yawningly communicate we don't know and we don't care. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul calls the church a body of many parts. And he says this, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Translation, if this matters to one of you, in Church Central West, if it has been your experience of conscious or unconscious racism, assumptions based on your skin colour, in the city, in the workplace, in the family, in the church, if this has been a thing for even one of you, then this matters to all of us because you matter to us and we're a body. We should pursue this, think about this, engage with this, not because it's on social media right now, but because it matters to those of you in the church who this has hurt and is hurting. And because you matter to us, this really matters to us. Lastly, we should pursue this unity in diversity because it matters to the city. Not that we've got to be seen to be a church that cares about this because the city are really into it. So we've got to look like we care about it. I don't mean that at all. Rather, because unity in diversity, our oneness within our local church is one of the main evidences to our city of the reality of Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus prays, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. How will the world know that, that God sent Jesus to be the saviour and that God loves our city so that they can be swept up and become dearly loved children of God? How will the city find out about that? You know, Jesus says, well, it's when his church has a unity and a oneness that truly reflects the gospel. That when the city sees a way of relating across ethnic difference that is so loving, that is so costly, so different, so humble, so powerful, so beyond virtue signaling and social media hashtags and tokenism, but that we are really a humble, listening, repentant, inclusive, learning, sacrificial family. When they see that, Jesus reckons that then they'll conclude, wow, there might be something in this Jesus stuff. After all, maybe I could be loved by God as well. 
Now look, I've not given you much in terms of practical outworkings, and if you want to get into this more, then I, I recommend our website, churchcentral.org.uk forward slash race. We've had on there for the last year a, a range of resources, podcast videos, uh, different things to help us grow in our understanding, in some of our understanding of the issues, of the, the terms that are helpful to use, some of the, the difficulties that can come up in churches. There's a lot of stuff there, whether you're new to this or whether you've been thinking about this for your whole life. I want to really recommend looking at those. But really more than practical outworkings, that's probably not my place to bring. It's probably on each of our different church communities to think about how this stuff lands in practice. I guess I've tried to simply refresh your vision, refresh your faith, refresh your clarity that this is not a political thing or a thing that's small and off to the side. It's a God thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a body of Christ thing. And may we, in each of our churches, pursue this more and more for God's glory and so that the world might know that Jesus is who he said he is.